I'd love for you to take your Bibles, uh, if you have them, and I'd love for you to turn with me to James chapter 1. Uh, we're beginning a new series today, and over the ne- next several weeks, we're going to walk through uh, the book of James and uncover really what we're calling a faith that works, a faith that works even in the midst of the greatest trials we might face, and we're going to see that tonight in James chapter 1. And as we take our Bibles and we turn there, I can't uh, help but wonder, maybe like you do, that when we read Scripture, it's not just what is explicitly said, but I think I'm very interested in what's not said. James, uh, the author of this book, uh, he has numerous opportunities to boast uh, of his established credentials. I mean, if I were in his shoes, uh, I might have started this little letter a little differently than he did. I think I might have gone on and say, hey, uh, my name's James, and my mom is Mary. You might know who she is. She's pretty important. And then, uh, I don't know if you know, there's this guy named Jesus. Uh, He's the savior of the world. That's my half-brother. He's pretty important, too. And while all the other apostles are out just saving the world, I stayed right here in Jerusalem, and now I'm the pastor. I'm the head of the church here in Jerusalem. But James, he mentions none of that. Nor did he even mention that the resurrected Christ appeared to him in the flesh. I mean, think about it. Your own brother died, was buried, and rose again. And then he comes, and he meets you in the flesh. And he gives you a hug. I think that's pretty important, don't you? I think it would be a pretty important thing to put, but he doesn't say any of that. He just introduces himself like it's no big deal. He doesn't pull any rank. He doesn't drop any names. He just simply states this in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. He says, greetings. He says, hey, my name's James. I'm a servant of God, and I'm a servant of my brother, Jesus. The 12 tribes, it refers to the Jewish people that are scattered throughout the world that have been saved and have become believers in Jesus Christ. And that word servant is doulos in the Greek. Doulos depicts a slave. It's one that was deprived of all of his personal freedoms and totally under the control of his master. And to be a doulos of God in the Jewish culture, well, that was a complete honor. So he says, I'm James. I'm a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you know this, but many of the best servants are the ones that you never hear about. They're the ones that are faithfully serving God, his church, and his people with not much fanfare. They're never clamoring really to be up front, many of them. They're never boasting in their credentials, but they're very comfortable being in the background, making things happen. And without them, things wouldn't happen. One thing I tell our staff, and and I want you to know, as we are the people of God uh, in this place, and and we haven't always done it well, but we want to be a place of honor. We want to be a place that honors one another above ourselves, that we would celebrate all that God has done in and through of those that are around us and that are serving him. And so today I want to talk uh, a little bit differently as I begin my message. Because we've had someone that has served this church faithfully and been on our staff for over 27 years. And he's been my friend for over 30. Uh, He was born in this church. Not literally, but he was born in this church. He's been here since he was born. Um, His father hired me, 
And uh, this season of him being on staff is coming to an end. And he'll be going into another season soon as his family has already left and moved to Idaho. I hired him at Jack in the Box in Anaheim uh, as he had a lunch break. Uh, He was delivering mail uh, back in the day as he was a postman. And we went to dinner Thursday night, just the two of us, and I almost just pulled into a jack-in-the-box and took him there. But I thought after uh, 27 years, he deserved a little bit more than that. Uh, When he came on staff, he wasn't really sure about coming on staff. He had to take a pay cut to do it. And he told me, um, as he had his young family, and he wasn't sure how he was going to make it. And uh, he told me that I said this to him, and I don't remember this at all, but I, I said to him, hey, Dave, you aren't going to change anybody's life delivering mail. That was my sales job, and it worked. Um, He has listened to more of my sermons than anyone by far. He has been here most weeks before any of you ever walk in this building, including myself. And all the things we've done over the last 27 years that sound great are because of him. And all that loud music, it's not his fault, it would be mine. You will see him around uh, until he moves away permanently. But this is his last weekend of being our head technical director. And so today, I just want to honor him. And uh, he didn't want to come up front, so I told him he didn't have to. Uh, But that's Dave Roach. And the pictures on the left are when we used to do the Olin Mills little family photos. Remember those? But uh, Dave's in the sound booth. And so here's what I would love for you to do for 27 years of faithful service. If you would just stand to your feet and if you would say thank you. be seated. I love you. Grateful for you. So James, um, he's a servant of God. And he serves us today some very important information as we walk through this life together. Verse 2, he says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. A, consider it pure joy whenever you walk through trials. How you doing with that? Doing good? I was thinking about this. Um, How do you identify a counterfeit? Depending on what or who it is, uh, most of the time it's really difficult. I don't know if you ever research counterfeiting, but it's a huge business. In fact, uh, handbags and wallets, they estimated it was over a $700 million business last year. Watches and jewelry, over $500 million. Gucci, they claimed at least 4 million products were being counterfeited just online. 4 million. So how can you tell? They say when jewelers want to know if a diamond is real, they often place it in in clear water, which causes the real diamond to sparkle with brilliance. But an imitation stone will have almost no shine at all. So uh, how would you know if this Gucci purse is real or if this Gucci purse is real? 
Because one is real and one is fake. It's funny, uh, the fake one is my daughter's. Fake one's my daughter's. And I asked someone here to, to, to bring a real one for me, and they brought a real one not knowing that it was the exact same purse. So I'm going to swap them out and see if they know. <laughs> They're here tonight, so uh, yeah. Uh, which one's real? I'm not going to tell you. Well, what about this? This is a Rolex. One's real, and one's fake. Oh, from where you sit, I don't know that you could tell which one is real or which one is fake. But one's a counterfeit, and one's not. So how can you tell? How can you tell if someone's really a Christian or not? I mean, many people say, I'm a Christian. I believe in, in Christ. But what sets them apart? What really makes them a follower of Jesus? I think James has something to say about that. I think he's going to help us a little bit with, with what kind of sets you apart and what really shows a lost world that, that you are truly a follower of Christ. He comes and James wants us to think differently about our trials. And he understands for you to become an authentic follower of Jesus, you're going to have to know how to handle trials because they're just a part of your life. And so he comes and he says, hey, everybody, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. James identifies trials as when and not if. And we all know that every single one of us are going to face them. And some of you are in them right now. So he comes and he says, consider it pure joy. New translations say it this way, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Many times we think about falling into something, we fall into temptation, right? So the new translation says when you fall into trials. Why would they use the word trials? Well, in the Greek, trials and temptations are the same word. It makes sense when you think about it. You see, when God will send or allow a trial in your life to strengthen your faith, the enemy stands ready to attempt you to doubt God, to blame God, and ultimately fall into sin. And so a trial and a temptation, what might be a, a trial that God allows in your life, Satan comes and tempts you to fall into sin. Here's how John Corson says it. He says, what the enemy throws at us as a temptation, God allows to be a trial. You see, Satan wants to use the event to tear us down and wipe us out. And God wants to use that same event to show us how faithful he is and how real he can be. In the Old Testament, the book of Job, it gives us a picture of what the enemy was doing as he was tempting Job. He was trying to wipe him out by afflicting him physically and causing him to lose his family and ruining him financially. But you see, God was doing something through the trial. And when a trial comes, Satan will be there immediately to try and tempt you to turn away from God. And he'll do whatever or use whoever to get his job done. It was Job's wife who came in chapter 2, verse 9, and she said to him, Why are you still trying to live as a man of integrity? As you sit here in misery, Job. And then she said this in verse 9, Why don't you just curse God and die? And he said, You're, you're talking like a fool. And then in verse 10, 
he said this back to her. Shall, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And the moment you start to follow Jesus is the moment the trials begin. Because you begin to live in opposition of what the enemy wants for your life because he wants to take you out. And good news, God will be there as well to show you his strength as he sees you through the trial that you're in. And when a Christian is tested, you need to know something. That means you're actually doing something. (laughs) That the enemy in some way is threatened by you. And as a follower of Jesus, you just were placed, you weren't just placed on this earth to survive. You were actually put here to make a difference in this world. And that can be in a variety of ways. But making a difference in this world for Jesus means you're just going to be tested. And those tests are going to reveal something in you so God can reveal himself through you. So he continues on in verse 3 after he tells you to, hey, be joyful, consider it all joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And so let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lack, not lacking anything. You see, the, to consider trials as an occasion for joy, it involves a, an act of faith on our part. And it's believing that God is who he says he is, and he will be who he said he will be for you, no matter what's going on in your life. It's the process of the trial that is to give you a different perspective. It's a heavenly perspective. As many times, we're told not to look directly at the trial, but to look through the trial for the potential outcome of who you could be on the other side. But when we're in the midst of it, it's hard not to keep our eyes on the trial and look through that trial to what might be coming around the corner. See, the test of your faith is producing something in you. And the trial is the test that produces something in you that might be missing. See, faith is tested through trials. It's not produced by the trial. (laughs) Trials reveal the faith we have so that our faith will be evident to ourselves and then all of those around us. Some translation says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces patience instead of perseverance. See, patience and perseverance, those two go hand in hand. In fact, you know this, it takes patience to persevere. David, the psalmist, said it like this in Psalm 40, verse 1 and 2. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. See, your patience in the process helps you gain a heavenly perspective as you learn to trust God in and through the trials. And it goes on to say, by faith, let perseverance finish its work. Let perseverance finish its work. We don't like that, do we? We might persevere, but we want the work to be done now, right? We don't want to wait any time for the work to be done. And it says, no, you're going to have to be patient in your perseverance because that work is ongoing in you. I remember a few years back, I went through a a pretty heavy trial. And just to be honest, for the most part of that trial, my eyes were on it. And many of you have been there. You you, you can't seem to, to escape it. It's right in front of you. And, and I was looking at the trial instead of looking through the trial for what God was actually going to do. And it wasn't until I got past the trial that I realized, man, I had so many things that God needed to teach me. 
And there's so many things I learned about myself and so many things I learned about him. And actually, I missed some of the things because I was focused on the wrong thing in the midst of the trial. And part of the patience that we have to have in trials is because God is producing something in us. But we got to be willing to learn what that is. She says, let perseverance finish its work. Why? Well, so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. You might want to underline that. Let perseverance finish the work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So let me ask you this. How many of you would love to be mature and complete, not lacking anything in the eyes of God? I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? How many of you would love to do it without trials? Bad news. You can't. It's not going to happen. But I do want to tell you, you can persevere. And Paul tells us how in Romans 12, 12. He says this, be joyful in hope. That's perspective. Be joyful in hope because you're, you're, you're looking through the trial for, for what God is doing in you and, and what is to come. No matter what, you're secure. No matter what, you have him. No matter what, he is with you. So he says this, be joyful in hope. Your hope is not in the trial. It's not in yourself. It's not in just the answer to the trial. Your hope is in him. So be joyful in hope. That's perspective. Be patient in affliction. Oh, there you go. That's perseverance. And be faithful in prayer. That's called trust. See, he wants you to begin to think differently, and the only way you're going to begin to think differently is to actually open up God's Word and begin to know Him. And when you begin to know Him, you begin to understand that He is who He says He is, and His character is good, and He is faithful, and He is true, and He is right. And when you get to know and understand God, then it says be faithful in prayer because you are coming on faith, by faith, and you're trusting Him. That His way and His plan and His understanding for your life is greater than yours, even if your circumstance never changes. I want to bypass the trial and get to the mature and complete. But you have to walk through it. And he says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. See, your outcome of your maturity in Christ, it's determined through the process. So if you're in a trial tonight, and if you're overwhelmed, just want to tell you, I, I've been there. But I also want to just say today, don't panic. Don't overreact. Don't turn your problem into a crisis. But be patient in affliction. And let it have its full effect on you so that you're not going to be lacking in anything. Verse 5, he goes on, he says, hey, if any of you lacks wisdom, every single one of us, so I'm talking to all of you, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and then it will be given to you. I know you know this, but trials cause us to seek God differently and more passionately than when we do when things are just going really, really well. 
Problem is, you can't be prepared for the crisis after the crisis already comes. <laughs> it's when you're doing well that you're actually preparing your soul and your heart, and you're getting ready for whatever might come. But in the good times, it's not that you just get to kick back, because when the crisis comes, it's too late to now start preparing yourself for the crisis. Many times we don't know we need wisdom until we're in over our head and we don't know what to do. And it's in trials we need wisdom a lot more than we ever need knowledge. And we gain a lot of knowledge, and that's great, but it's raw information. But wisdom is knowing how to use that knowledge. And someone once said this, it's the ability to, uh, someone once said that knowledge is the ability to take things apart, but wisdom is the ability to put things together. So where do you go or who do you go to first when you need wisdom, when you need an answer? You go to books, you go to your counselor, you go to your husband, your wife, your pastor. All those are good. <laughs> but they shouldn't be your first option. He says if you lack wisdom, then you go to God. And you go to him and he's going to give it to you generously back without finding fault. See, and it's in humility that we come in our brokenness and our need, and we actually are like a beggar. That word is like a beggar, that, that we go to God and we say, actually, I need your wisdom, God, because I don't know what to do. And I don't know about you, I'm quick to talk to another pastor, or I'm quick to talk to my wife, or I'm quick to talk to somebody else, and, and James comes and he said, hey, you need wisdom, go to God. It's your first priority, it's your first step. And he says, but when you ask, verse 6, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. I read this earlier this week, uh, that a wave of the sea is a fitting description of one who is hindered by unbelief and unnecessary doubts. So let me just say tonight, if you're a worrywart, this is for you. If you're a doubter, this is for you. If you struggle with unbelief that God's actually who he says he is and he, he's actually going to come through for you, this is for you. See, a wave of the sea is without rest and, and so is the doubter. And a wave of the sea is unstable and so is the doubter. And a wave of the sea is driven by the winds and so is the doubter. And a wave of the sea is capable of great destruction and so is the doubter. And man, when I'm in the trial, I can easily begin to doubt that what I'm going through, God doesn't even care about. And if he did care about it, I wouldn't be going through it. Or I believe that I'm undeserving of his relief or even a response. And so in that being undeserving, I don't even go to him. And James comes and he says, listen, He's not looking for who you are or what you've done. He's wanting you just to humbly come and admit, God, I need your help. I need wisdom right now. Some of you might want to argue with God. And why would you let this happen to me? Or why, why don't you get me out of this mess? And James says, if that is you, verse 7, that person right there, you shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. Because such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. If you read through the Old Testament, you understand that Israel had this problem over and over again. They needed to make up their mind whom they would serve. The prophet Elijah said it like this to ancient Israel. How long will you waver between two opinions? 
If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, well then follow him. In Revelation chapter 3, the church at Laodicea was rebuked because they were lukewarm. And the writer said this, he said, hey, you're neither hot nor cold. I'm just going to spit you out of my mouth. Make up your mind, whom are you going to serve? And if you tend to doubt God in the trial and focus on it more than him, although you say Jesus is your savior, your actions, they're telling a different story. And your trial has revealed to your family and your friends in the world who you actually serve. (laughs) And it's not God. It's interesting when James comes and he says, consider it all joy, many times we mess that up. He didn't ask you to enjoy the trial. He didn't tell you you should feel great when you go through this really difficult situation. He doesn't say that trials are a joy. None of that. So don't get the wrong impression. But James says that what reveals if your faith is in Christ is real is trials. And part of the joy is understanding I do not like this. I don't even want it. I don't even know why I'm here. But God, I am trusting you. And in the midst of it, you're going to have your way. And I pray, as a follower of you, I'm going to come out the other side mature and complete and lacking nothing. And there's something in this for me, God. And I can tell you what I went through in 2011. I never want to go through it again, but I am so glad I did. Because on the backside, I see how God changed me. And I see so many areas of growth and still that I need to grow in. But that trial completely changed me as a person. And here's what I know. God knew I needed it. And it might not have happened any other way. So what James says is, you're going to serve one or two masters. And trials are going to reveal whom you serve. On the outside, you might look the part of a Christian. You might play the role. But James comes and says, if if you're not handling trials this way, then guess what? You're unstable, and you're tossed about by any wind that comes your way. Another way to put it is you're a counterfeit, and your trial has revealed who you really are. The mask is off because the trial is revealing more of you than it is of Christ. In, in COVID, um, I, I sent my son this little meme. Um, and uh, I said, hey, uh, be careful who you date in COVID because when the masks come on, it might be a totally different person. And this is what was the other side. So it's not time to fall in love. And those teeth were bad. But the mask was on, okay? So here's what it's like for you. When a trial comes, guess what happens? The mask is off. And people see you. And many times they see more of you than they do of Jesus. Because trials are revealing who you really trust. So what are you going to do about that? How will you become a true person of faith, an authentic follower of Christ? How can you have a faith that works when the enemy tries to use trials to take your life from you? Well, I want to go back to Romans 12. And as I wrap up 
I want to give you this formula for a faith that works in the midst of trials. And it's very simple. But it's be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. And faithful in prayer. Keep that up there. All right, say it out loud with me. Ready? Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. So be joyful in hope. That's perspective. If James wants us to think differently, then we have to have a different viewpoint of our life. I try and look at everything through the lens of eternity. Because if I have an eternal viewpoint instead of a temporary viewpoint, I get to see everything and try to see everything through the eyes of God. It all starts with perspective, and your perspective is fueled by your faith. So he comes along and he says, here, be joyful in hope. I love what what, uh, Paul says in Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope, may he fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Why? So that you then can overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. And he didn't say if your circumstance is good. He didn't say if you're not going through a trial. He didn't say if you're not having difficulty or hard times. No, he said right now where you are, who you are, whatever's going on, be joyful in hope because you as a Christian have a different perspective. And that perspective is an eternal one. So let me just ask you this question. Is there anything you've put your hope in other than God? Is there anything you put your hope in other than God? Second thing is perseverance. Be joyful in hope and patient in affliction. Let me ask you, if you know you're walking through a trial right now, you know it's not just for you, right? It might be for someone else as well. C.S. Lewis said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Remember, when you have an eternal perspective, you are looking at your trial differently than someone who has no hope or an eternal promise of what is to come. And when you stop looking directly at the trial and start looking through the trial for the potential outcome of who you could be and what God could do through you, you get to shine his light to others. And it will help you be patient in the affliction and persevere to the other side. C.S. Lewis also said this, don't shine so that others can see you. Shine so that through you, others can see him. Man, when there's people that have walked through some really, really deep waters, and I have watched their lives, and there is a joy and a peace in the midst of it, I want that. I, I look at them and I say, that, that's a picture of Jesus. That's a picture that, that the world needs to see when, when things might be seemingly falling apart, that, that there's just a foundation that is solid. And there's a security and a trust. So let me ask you, if you are currently in a trial right now, 
Is it possible to be joy-filled if your circumstances never change? I want to answer it for you. The answer is yes. But you can't do it on your own. It's only by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit that lives in you that you can respond or react differently and live in joy and peace no matter what's going on around you. Third one is prayer. The psalmist said this in Psalm 55. As for me, I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He rescues me unharmed from the battle that waged against me, even though many oppose me. Do you understand if prayer was powerless, it would be easy? The enemy knows that prayer changes things. And yet for many of us, I'll include myself, many times prayer is the last offense instead of the first step in offense. That our prayer, our, hurt, our prayers are heard by God and he hears you and prayer changes things and it changes you. That's why Paul said, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. So tonight... Um, If you're in a trial right now, can I just tell you, don't give up. And don't give in. You are fighting. And the one you are fighting against is waging war against you. And the only way is to wage war against the enemy is really on your knees. Some of you just need to hear tonight that God is able to see you through. Whatever you're going through right now, God is able. Tim Keller said it like this. He said, suffering and trials can be the hammer that drives you like a nail into the love of God. Because it's in the trials that you actually start to cling to him. And even if you feel like you're just holding on, hold on. Even if you feel like you're getting weaker, keep praying. Even if you don't feel like coming to church and worshiping, come to church and worship. It's like when you go to the gym and you exercise. You feel like you're actually getting weaker when you leave. But you know what? You're actually getting stronger. Can I just tell you it's the same thing? Hold on to God. Don't let go. See, God is able to see you through whatever you are going through. So tonight, be joyful in hope because your perspective is eternal. Be patient in affliction because God is working out something in you so he can be seen through you. And be faithful in prayer because you see, he's calling you to show his goodness and love to a world that desperately needs it. This is how you become a person of faith and persevere through the greatest trials you'll ever face. You know what tells you whether the This purse is fake or not? It'll be the testing of time. Because one of them is genuine leather. 
One of them is genuine plastic. One of them is going to fade away pretty quick and one's going to last. You know how you can tell with these watches? This has a strength and a weight to it that this one doesn't. If you know anything about Rolex, this one sweeps and this one ticks. There are things that set them apart. This one doesn't work anymore because it was bought on the streets of New York for 25 bucks and it's fading away. This one is solid, made with some of the greatest metals that we know of. It has strength. It's going to be the test of time that reveals the counterfeit and the real. You know what really reveals if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ? It's the trials but it's how you respond and it's how you walk and it's how you live that will show if you truly are trusting Jesus with everything. Tonight, I can just tell you, you want to be mature, you want to be complete, you want to lack nothing. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer. When you come through the test, you'll come out the other side. The one that is authentic. That's what Christ is looking for in us. So here's how I want to end tonight. Some of you in this room I know are walking through some deep waters. And there's some trials that have come your way that kind of, if you're just honest, you just are overwhelmed. And if you can't be honest in church, then there's really no place you can be honest because every one of us has been there. We just might not be there right now. But tonight, if you're walking through something deep and you would like us to pray for you, I would just ask you if in this moment you would just stand. If there's something going on in your life that you want prayer for, I would love for you to stand. And if you stand, thank you. God sees you tonight and he knows here's what I'm going to ask of you as you stand thank you for standing I'm going to ask everyone in the room to stand but those that you that stood first I would love for you just to put your hands out like this everyone else in the room you stand with me please but those that stood to receive prayer just put your hands out like this God um you see those that are in need right now. And I thank you that they stood and humbly we come before you and, and their hands are opened up to receive from you. 
So God, tonight I pray that your strength and your hope and your peace would overcome them. That by the power of your spirit, that tonight, God, you would refresh their soul. You would renew their strength. And that maybe tonight there's just another step of faith that they have because of your word. I pray that they would be patient right now in the midst of their affliction, that God, you would show yourself real to them. That they would begin to seek you with all of their heart, for it is then that they will find you and you will answer them. And God, we thank you that it is your wisdom that we need tonight. So I pray your wisdom that they would seek that. And that God, they would trust your plan even when probably it makes no sense. And for those who have physical ailments, we pray over that. For those, God, who who might be trying to to get pregnant and can, I pray over that. For those who are walking through a divorce, for those who have great sickness in their home, I pray over that in Jesus' name because you are greater than any of that. And I pray right now in the midst of all of the struggles and the trials that come our way, it's hard to be joyful, God, but it says consider it all joy. So we're going to do that because our eyes are set on you and not our circumstance or our trial. So I thank you for the courage just to stand. I thank you for the willingness to put their hands out. And now, God, I pray that they would be willing this week to seek you with everything and to trust you as they come out the other side. And for all of us, we thank you, God, that you are with us in the trials, that you are forming and shaping us. And all of us, as followers of you, want to be complete. God, we want, we want to be mature and lacking in nothing. And, and so help us as we walk through this life to reflect you in greater ways in the days ahead. And we'll be careful to give you all the thanks and praise. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.